So let's turn, if we can, to Romans chapter 1. If you've got great eyesight, you will be able to read on the screen. Yes, it is there, but I'll read clearly for us. We're going to start at verse 8, verse 8, in Romans chapter 1. It says that Paul writes these words to the believers in Rome. He says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. And we truly do pray that God would bless the public reading of his word. It is the living word of God and would truly have an impact on all of us today. The gospel, a declaration of good news and a message that when understood and embraced changes lives and changes destinies, changes behavior by the changing of lives. And we're going to think about that today, the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel. I want, if you could, um, to imagine a warm July afternoon. Can you imagine that? Yes, it's a bit tricky, maybe, uh, but a warm July afternoon. But the year is 1505. 1505. A young man is riding through a forest in Germany and a thunderstorm breaks out. He's a very religious man, but a bolt of lightning comes so close to him that he is thrown from his horse that he was riding on. And he is so fearful that this could have been the end of his life, and where would he stand before God? And he cries out. He cries out to a Catholic saint, help me, St. Anna, and I will become a monk. He's desperate, realizing that his life could have ended that afternoon. It hadn't ended for that young man. But he believed that God was out to get him. He feared the wrath of God upon him, 
and he had no knowledge of being accepted by God. And he, and he thought on that afternoon, perhaps he could earn God's favour by becoming a monk. That if he endeavoured to, to, to do monkery stuff, then somehow God would accept him. But he found it didn't help. It didn't help young Martin Luther. He understood that he could never achieve this moral perfection. And it caused him to ever despair of being in a right relationship with God. Understanding that his sin separated from, from God. And no matter all that he did in his religious endeavor, it still kept him separated from God. And he couldn't understand how a holy God, which he knew God was, could ever accept a sinful man such as he knew he was. If we'd looked at him, we'd have said he's a very religious man, very moral, upright man. But he understood his heart, as hopefully we understand our hearts if we're honest. And the seed of every sin is within our own hearts. Well, Martin Luther carries on. He, to try and get some relief from this burden, he goes to Rome, the capital of Italy. And because in Rome at that time, it was claimed that the very steps that the Lord Jesus had walked on in Pilate's Hall were there in Rome. Of course, they weren't, but that was what was claimed. And what was taught was that God would forgive the sins of everyone who crawled up these steps and kissed each step as they walked up the steps. Yes, I know that sounds surprising, doesn't it? But that was what was taught and that was what was believed by many. And young Martin, despairing of being in a right relationship with God, does that. He crawls up these steps. He kisses every step as he goes up on this slow mounting of them. He comes to the top step. And he thinks, who knows if this is true? All I've done is got sore knees and mucky lips. That was it. But a change came in his life. He studied the scriptures. And around 1516, he was looking at the book of Romans. And he discovered a truth that would give him great peace and would change his life forever. And what it was, he discovered how he could be righteous in God's sight. How he as a sinner could be regarded as righteous by a holy God and God would be just in that declaration. And the verse that changed his life and that has changed the lives of many is the verses right at the end of our passage today. Paul writes, let me read them to you again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Up to this point, Martin Luther had thought that the, the revealing of God's righteousness was, was the revealing of his character. That God was holy and he was righteous and he was just and he would judge sin. And all that's true about God. And he thought, well, the message just 
brings before me my sin. It brings before me God's righteousness. And it has this huge gap in between us. That is what he thought. But then he understood, as we need to understand. That verse is not teaching that. It taught Luther, God by his grace revealed to it, to him rather, that the gospel does reveal the righteousness of God, but the way that God has revealed a person can be righteous in his sight. How can you and I, how can that young monk become righteous in God's sight? And he understood that day that the gospel reveals how that is the case. It is not through good works. It is not through monkery or anything like that. It is on the basis of faith, not works. Faith in Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross. And that revelation, that discovery changed Martin Luther. He now understood that through faith in God and trusting in Jesus Christ, God could regard him as righteous in his sight and be just in doing that. And that gave him great peace, as it does everyone, should give everyone, who is truly trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation. From that day forth, he stopped working for his salvation because he could never work enough. How much would be enough? Well, Luther, in all his religious works, understood that he could never achieve that. He couldn't achieve a righteous stand, and the righteousness he needed was what God would provide. And God considers every person who believes to be righteous in his sight. That righteousness, if you like, is a foreign righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. Not achieved by works of the person, but accredited to them by God through faith in Jesus Christ, the only one who has lived a righteous life in God's sight. Well, that revelation, as we said, changed the life of Martin Luther. And that revelation has changed the life of countless people over the centuries. And so today, we're just going to examine this little part of Scripture. As Paul wrote to the believers, obviously 1,500 years before Martin Luther discovered this truth, and, and they knew that truth, and we were going to discover something of that truth again. Maybe for the first time, possibly, I don't know. Maybe to be refreshed, encouraged in that truth. How can you... How can you, how can an individual, how can you sit in here today, how can I stand in here today be regarded as righteous in God's sight? Right now, to know that if we passed from this day, if we passed from this earth, if this, this is my last day on earth, if I die at lunchtime, how will I be regarded as righteous in God's sight? What confidence can I have and the confidence is not in what I have done. It's in the confidence what he has done, Jesus Christ upon the cross and my faith in him. So I want to consider just really quickly Paul's prayer. Because he knew the gospel had impacted these people at Rome. He'd never met them. 
He'd never met them. We'll think about that. And we're going to think about his preaching as well. See, the gospel had impacted Rome. It had impacted individuals in Rome. It was a very godless, immoral city with lots of different philosophies on life and lots of different ways of looking at how a person should live. But what Paul knew was this, that there was a group of believers, of Christians, who had trusted in Jesus Christ, and because of the work of God within their lives, they were now different. You see, some people speak about faith. Uh, uh, Faith should be personal and private. Personal and private, maybe you've heard that. Keep it private. Well, faith is certainly personal. Certainly is. My faith is personal, your faith is personal. But it can never be private. Because it will be obvious that if I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that people will see a difference in you. Your your very behavior will be different. It cannot remain the same because God changes a person. He does indeed. And that's what Paul says. You can see it there. Verse 8, he says, you know, although we've never seen them, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, it's probably a little bit of hyperbole then. I don't think he meant the people in Australia had heard about them. But it's gone out to so many different people. And though I've never met you, I have heard about that. And I give thanks that God has so worked in your life, in this very godless and immoral place, and has transformed you. And I have a desire to see you, Paul says. That's what I want to do, to come and see you. You see, the gospel creates a mutual bond of friendship and what we might call fellowship between people who have never met because of the common faith that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the bedrock for their life. That is the centrality of their life. See, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, as we see in the Bible, is not a side issue. It's not something we just sort of tack on as a little hobby on a Sunday morning. Faith in Jesus Christ means the whole of life is impacted. How I act in the home, how I act in the workplace, how I act in the community, what I do with my money. It impacts every area of life. And so he says, it, we've heard about it. And I would want to come and see you, to bless you. And I know that your faith will be a blessing to me as well. Now, that desire had been thwarted. Paul writes about that. You know, you see that in verse 13. I, 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 I had often intended to come to you. But, in, you know, in God's purposes, that hadn't happened yet. It was a noble desire, uh, what he wanted to do. But he says, you know, that's not happened. But I want to come, and I'm going to reap a harvest. Now, that sounds very agricultural, doesn't it? It sounds very horticultural as well. A harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul understood this, that when he was going to go, because he says he's eager to preach the gospel, he's going to preach the gospel to Christians and to non-Christians. Because the gospel isn't just a message about being saved from the penalty of sin, as we'll think. It's a message about being saved from the present, uh, from the power of sin, and then ultimately as well from the very presence of sin. And so the gospel 
is for believers to understand and be strengthened in and for the non-believer to be challenged in. Paul says, you know, I'm going to come and I want to preach and I know that through the gospel message, God is pleased to work. God is pleased to work. The ongoing proclamation of the gospel. So I'm eager to preach the gospel. Now, as a side note, Paul does get to Rome in the end. Some of you might know that. He gets to Rome as a prisoner. And he's held under house arrest on one occasion for quite some time. People visit him. And then a second time, he's held in prison. And history records, admittedly, they're not the Bible, but history records quite clearly that Paul lost his life in Rome. He was beheaded. So he does get to Rome. And he does encourage the believers, and he ultimately was a blessing. So that's his prayer. But I, what I want us to think about, and you think you've gone through that section quite quick, and yes, I probably have. Because uh, what I want to get to in our time is to think of this wonderful two verses. Not that the other ones aren't wonderful, you understand. But what Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. See, he, he writes early, he owes a debt. God has given Paul a work to do. And he speaks about being under obligation in verse 14. He speaks about owing a debt. And you think, well, how does he owe a debt to people he's never met? How does he owe a debt to people he has never met? And the idea is this, that God... As you'd have thought last week, if you were here from verse 1, set apart Paul for the gospel of God, to go and take it. And that was a treasure that Paul had been given, something of great precious value. And he's under obligation to take that to others, to pass that great treasure of God on. So that's in the sense the debt that he feels he owes, to give that to others other people and he says I'm in a debt to Greeks and to barbarians you see well, what does that mean well that's sort of Greeks and non-Greeks you know it's the language of the time to the wise and the foolish basically encompasses all people of all backgrounds and all cultures the gospel isn't just a message for a few people here and a few people there. And in somewhere else, in some other country, at some other times maybe, there's a different message of how to be saved, to be in a right relationship with God. And so the gospel is to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. It's an unchanging gospel. It's a gospel that needs no revision. It's God's message for all of humanity, all alike. Whether it be the religious man, as Paul will write about in Romans as we go through the other chapters, the religious man, the moral man, or the very pagan, badly behaved, if you like, man. The gospel is for everyone, a message of what God has done in Jesus Christ where we can be regarded as righteous in his sight and through faith we can have that right standing. So he says, I am ready to come. Verses 16 to 17. I'd like to reread them. But I want to reread them in the words of uh, someone who's since departed and gone to be the Lord. His name was F.F. Bruce. He has connections uh, with this part of the world. And I just like how he phrased it. So listen again to Romans 6, 
chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, with me. And he sort of paraphrases it like this. Paul said, Believe me, I have no reason to be ashamed of the gospel I preach. No, indeed, it is the powerful means which God employs for the salvation of all who believe, the Jew first and the Gentiles also. And why is this so? Because in the gospel, there is a revelation of God's way of righteousness, a way of righteousness based on the principle of faith and presented to men and women for their acceptance by faith. It was of this righteousness that the prophets said, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Now, I don't know if you grasped all that, but I kind of like that. He's not ashamed. Why, why would he be ashamed? Paul says, well, some people think there's a possibility of being ashamed. Well, you know, Paul had been abused, scorned, and beaten for proclaiming the message of the gospel. That had been what he had experienced in life, and people still are today. Abused, scorned, rejected by many, even in their own families, basically in the world in which we live, for preaching the gospel. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the gospel is seen to be offensive to many because it dents the pride and the egos that we might have. You think, well, that's offensive for you to say that. But it tells us this. And Paul, after, if you come for the next few weeks, you'll find out. Paul builds a picture in the following verses and chapters that culminates in this expression that all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, he starts with the very immoral person, as we might say, those who have indulged in sexual immorality. But then the moral man might say, well, I'm not like that. But Paul says, yeah, but you also don't keep the law. And he builds on that. And then for the rest of chapter two, he speaks about the man who's very religious. And he says, well, you're, you're, you're no better either with the light that you have. And culminating in this, that all have sinned and no one is righteous in God's sight. Now, whatever you think today, you will have to say, I, I, I would submit and agree, that that strips us of any ideas that we, by our natural good works and endeavor, can do anything to be in a righteous standing before God. All have sinned. Everyone. Doesn't mean we're all as bad as we could be. By God's grace, that's not the case. But the seed of every sin is within our heart. The scriptures would proclaim that to us. And so the gospel is a message about man's sinfulness. And people didn't like that and people still don't like that. The gospel is a message that tells us no one can earn a righteous standing by what they do. So you might think, well, I've got the message, I'll sin, I'll try and be better. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll, I'll endeavor, I'll work hard. But Paul says no. The gospel says no. You'll never achieve a righteous standing. 
But the gospel, after proclaiming the bad news about our condition, your condition, my natural condition, tells us this, that God has provided a way by which we can be seen as righteous in his sight. Amazing, isn't it? He has provided a way by which you can be seen as righteous in his sight. Let me give you just a little overview of that as Paul speaks further in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, Christ died for the ungodly. Further on in verse 8, but God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the great message of the gospel. Yes, mankind, individuals, stand apart from God. We're separated because of our sin. That sin will bring God's just judgment upon us. But the gospel reveals a way of righteousness. And as we said, it is through repenting of sin, turning away from that, and trusting in Jesus Christ for the salvation that he offers through faith in him. It's a wonderful message. It's a message that changes people's lives. Paul had seen that in his own life. Paul had seen it in the lives of others as he'd preached. As he'd preached. Tim referred to some of them today as he was speaking. A jailer who had whipped and beaten Paul cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul didn't say, well, stop whipping people. No, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Salvation in all its fullness. So the gospel tells us that we can have salvation. It's a salvation from the penalty of sin. Every sin will be judged. No one gets away with it in that sense. And that includes us. God will judge every sin. The wages of sin is death, Paul writes to the Romans. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what happens when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? You can understand this that the punishment that you would do, that you would do as an individual, and would eternally separate you from God in hell itself, was actually borne by the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. That he said, I will pay it. And he takes it. He bears in his body the punishment for sin, saves us from the penalty of sin. But the gospel is not just a message about salvation from sin's penalty. It's a message of the salvation from sin's power. See, all of us can't do anything but sin. Where the Bible teaches we're slaves to that by nature. Oh, we'll manifest it in lots and lots of different ways. But when we come to Romans 6, we read this. For the Christian... You have been set free from sin. That means as the dom dominating power in your life. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. But as the dominating, reigning power in your life. 
Faith in Christ changes how you think, changes your very nature, and you desire to follow Jesus Christ. It's freedom, salvation from sin's power. And it's also a salvation from sin's presence. We could go on to Romans chapter 8. And Paul says those who have faith in Jesus Christ can know this, that presently they are justified in his sight. But those whom he justified, Romans 8.30, he also glorified. He speaks about it in the past tense. Something what's yet future because it is so certain. Because you have a righteous standing in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be one day taken to be into the very presence of Christ, free from the presence of sin and to be with him forever. The gospel is a glorious message of hope, of peace, and of joy. And so no wonder Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it does reveal God's way of righteousness, the way that he can justify ungodly sinners like you and I and remain just. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. That wouldn't be just. 2,000 years ago, Christ bore the penalty so that those who receive it by faith can be regarded as righteous and have a salvation that affects them now and in the future. The gospel transforms lives. It did in Rome some 2,000 years ago. It did with Martin Luther 1,500 years ago. And it does today. We've seen a young girl transformed. She's obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ in being baptized. But the question is for all of us today, young, old, wherever alike, do you know you have a righteous standing in God's sight? And the only way you can be certain of that is if you're trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Now, if you'd like to speak on that, you come and speak to me at the end about that or anyone who's brought you there who you can trust to tell you about that because it is a really important message, the gospel, that changes destinies and changes lives. Let us pray. Father, we just come before you to this afternoon. We thank you for this wonderful morning that we have enjoyed to remember the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to sing hymns of praise concerning him, our hope in life and death, to witness a young a child of God being baptized and to think how the gospel uh, contains the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Help us to understand and apply this message, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.